Hi and welcome to this episode of Dumb Dive. I'm Pranav. I'm Arvind. And uh, yeah, I was reading for my thesis recently, and I I blitzed through a book. Um, which one? I mean, if you're reading for your thesis, usually the books aren't interesting enough for you to blitz through them. You kind of force yourself to blitz through them because you have to. <laughs> yeah, but they're probably not like this. They're not interesting enough, so you blitz through them yeah. as well. So you're not spending too much time on them. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like you you like this one. Oh yeah, no, this one. So it's called a philosophy of fear by uh, Lars Svensson, and we'll put the names of the books and the authors in the description. um in case we horribly mispronounce anything but yeah um this book was so it was it was a bit refreshing because it was an academic book for sure but it was written very clearly there wasn't like there wasn't like a lot of jargon it was yeah it was very straightforward in the writing and uh, he so so the the premise of this book is just that the author is examining fear as a sociological and political phenomenon so nothing to do with the physiological effect of fear like nothing to do with the flight or fight response and like you know adrenaline rushing and the amygdala and all of that stuff that you would read in a lot of literature about fear this is mainly to do with um you know how we as a society and i hate how that term's been memed to death but we as a society uh kind of live in this state of low level fear just constantly because of um the 24 hour news cycle um interest groups you know campaigning for their side of the thing the government releasing propaganda and press statements um you know that also engender fear and so on and so forth it's like there's so many of these um generators of fear that causes us to live at this chronic like low level of fear throughout it was it was uh, it was an interesting read the point you said about the 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 media and the news cycle like, just remind me like i was just uh, kind of kind of a tangent tangential mm-hmm. thought but i was just watching the news lately and it it's really struck how desperate it feels uh, like the attempt at grabbing your attention is on indian news especially but i think yeah. it's uh, something that's happening uh, throughout the world yeah 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 i think it really feels like as, as televised news especially is on its like last legs <laughs> trying yeah. to make sure that the last 10 people in the country who are still watching uh, tv as their primary source of news are watching them for as long as possible because yeah. like it, it's not really about the reporting like i was talking uh, uh, with some others about this where like mm-hmm. the previous generation of like newscasters and journalists were almost like celebrities in themselves uh, yeah, for yeah. how much of an impact they had uh, on people as like and people looked up to the way that they presented the information and like things like that but now that's sort of like dying away mm-hmm. we have so many different media from which we are getting information and news yeah. it's not just a single source so that one person is less important but yeah. at the same time like i'm also a bit like like it goes both ways because like you also have these figures online especially like yeah, you yeah. have uh, people like uh, the channel five news like andrew callan and uh, uh, a lot of like interview shows and sort mm-hmm, of like mm-hmm. the, the people who are going out on the streets and talking to people and trying to get you know quote unquote real stories yeah which like showcase a part that 
isn't really coming from a, a view of taking this as like a completely just for profit venture it's just like collecting these stories a lot of people uh it it just comes across differently and i i just wanted to bring up that point where like i felt like there's been this this odd change that we've hmm. been seeing over the last couple of years with, uh, i think so so you know you can actually trace this uh, so so the sensationalism you're talking about is basically the 24 hour news cycle right where you you keep having to like you have to keep coming up with new stories you have to keep sensationalizing them to get people to look at you know your channel and like to say oh you know there's this thing happening and more often than not it's easier to sensationalize negative news than positive news you know like um like you know uh something great happens sensationalizing that is like okay cool something bad happens you sensationalize it people are put into this constant state of fear where they have to keep checking up on whether that thing is ex- escalated or not or whether it's spread to a different place or not like in terms of the, like in the case of a virus and you know there's this there's this super um heavy focus on sensationalism and a lot of it is due to the 24 hour news cycle that started when the twin towers were hit in 2001 on the the very famous date that i do not wish to bring up but it's the same as a porsche model yeah you get what uh, i mean but right? yeah, yeah 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 so so the 24 hour news cycle basically started then as a way to see the aftermath to see how people were survive to see survivors to you know keep people up to date and uh whether you know bodies have been recovered or not or the rescue attempts all of that so at the time it made a lot of sense to have a 24 hour news cycle cuz this is like a this is like a politically earth-shattering event where there's been you know there's been like an almost iconoclastic act something that's genuinely struck at the heart of a nation's identity um at the time at least you know the twin towers were super important um to the american identity in some sense like i won't say they were central or anything but they were important in like america's thing as like a figurehead of economic progress and so on and striking at that really breaking it down both physically and like as a as a status of that economic power by doing that the terrorists were actually able to or al qaeda to be very you know specific they were able to bring down this figurehead of economic power and political power and doing that really put this a uh, feeling of fear into context it's like oh if they can do that to one of these buildings that's horrifying that's that's like really really scary and like it, 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 the media then gets stirred into a panic and the 24 hour news cycle was kind of born out of that entire event yeah um and you know i think ah i forget where i was going with this uh, my train of thoughts so, uh, all yeah, over the yeah. place because of uh, the 24 hour news cycle so, again so another uh, like we we kept mentioning the phrase state of fear and that reminded yeah. me that there was a michael crichton novel by the same name mm-hmm. uh, state of fear yeah. that also dealt with a lot of these topics and that was also like what like i feel like it's like 20 years ago at this point yeah i mean state of fear i think 1984 is also you know a classic novel that deals with a literal state of fear mm-hmm. you know where you you're constantly on the lookout for you know who might report you who might not 
what can you do what can't you do do i have to police yeah. my thoughts do i not have to things like that you know yeah yeah but like uh, obviously 1984 i feel like is a bit socially like sort of like like it, it feels yeah, it's a, a bit, bit more sociological dated. and yeah. no 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 i mean like it's a it's a bit more dated like it's hmm. uh like i feel like the the I, i mean just just from the fact that it was written a lot longer long, longer ago like the the crichton novel is directly dealing right, with right. the exact things that we 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 just spoke about right but right right it might be more but, pertinent yeah facts. yeah 1984 of course great novel but it, and also discusses the same ideas mm-hmm. uh, it's just like goes into it a bit differently yeah 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 No that's fair. I just brought it up because you said state of fear. I'm like, "Oh right, yeah. yeah There's also yeah. 1984, obviously." <laughs> But yeah, I I mean, I just kind of wanted to bring a book up because it was I mean, yeah. it's uh, not very often that I find a theory book one that's explicitly about, you know, theory and philosophy and, you know, sociology and stuff that mm. is one enjoyable enough for me to sit through and like blitz in like an evening, you know? I sat and read I sat and read like three books during that day one of them was this and since I was reading for my thesis I skipped over a few sections cuz they weren't pertinent at all um but this like I think a philosophy of fear a philosophy of fear I finished from front to back I didn't skip any sections in this book and it's real it was uh, it was it was genuinely fun to read I don't often come across theory books that are very clear very concise and just lay out their points without excessive jargon and when they use the jargon they set out context they explain why it's being used why it's different from other usages of the word and so on and so forth like it was very interesting to read and i was i was so happy especially in contrast to one of the other books i was reading at that time oh my god <laughs> let's not name drop that one well, but like i think i think it, it it connects very very well with our previous episode where we talk about how yeah We, Academia, we really don't yeah. don't like the the level of jargon and complexity like unnecessary and avoidable complexity in writing that is yeah. very often in academia yeah like it's, it's a lot of these ideas man, sometimes it's yeah. really hellish actually wait um while we before we move on to our next topic there's actually um i'm just looking this up there's a there's a very specific quotation i want to bring up <laughs> because that made me stop wanting to read a, read this book <laughs> for like a few days it, it was just needlessly wordy um to the point where i was just like yeah i'm not reading this anymore um wait what page was it on i mean until until then we can move on to a different topic until i find that specific quote Okay well I guess I I guess to to begin with like I I've also just completed reading a book that like sort of really tugged at my heartstrings mm. it's a book that was gifted to me it's a book called uh, Tuesdays with Mori uh, I think it was written in the late 90s like so it's not a very recent book I think it's like 97 or something like that uh and it's it, it's a It's a book about this uh, sports journalist who had a favorite professor when he was studying at university and that professor was like a professor of sociology I think taught uh, classes in uh, like interpersonal mm-hmm. relationships on uh, like uh, 
a, a lot of like the things that we would consider soft skills now but this was back in like the 70s or maybe even earlier and uh, it, it was very unheard of to be teaching these type of topics uh, back at university then because it's right. sort of considered common sense but it's not something that everyone really uh, like makes the most of of learning how to interact respectfully with each other of making the most of uh, interactions and things like that mm-hmm. and like so so it's uh, at least from the eyes of the author like this professor was really uh, instrumental in at least his life and a lot of uh, his peers to bring that to them where uh, he is that one teacher that one professor that everyone would still keep in touch with because of how uh, how important he is as a mentor right. to them but uh, yeah so this this guy while he's in university is very strongly connected with that professor but after graduation he moves on to the uh, to the corporate world right. gets a job in sports writing starts like just focusing on how to make money how to step up how to get promoted how, like that cycle yeah. of just like getting lost in your work uh, yeah. and like it's several years uh, later that he's just like stuck in that cycle where family isn't even as important it's just work 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 work, work, work. Yeah. and then he's watching the news and there's this uh, report that comes in uh, where the uh, uh, newscaster is interviewing uh, that professor of his mm-hmm. and, and then he pays close attention and they and then they find out that that professor has a neurological disease uh, ALS uh, that is slowly deteriorating his uh, his body from like his feet upwards so yeah. he first like loses control of his uh, so... of his like he's not able to walk as well and then it slowly becomes the point where he cannot walk at all mm-hmm. it reaches his hips and he's not able to move his legs at all and like like his body gets weaker and weaker over time his yeah, uh, yeah and it, it, it's just like uh it takes days and days and weeks and weeks but there's no real uh the i don't know the current state of medicine but at least at the at that point there was no real uh cure for it there was no real way to slow things down there was no real way to deal with a lot of the problems that uh, the health conditions that you face i think so, just one second because i think i think stephen hawking and uh, also had something also like, had uh, he had als i think yeah It's so yes yes yeah he also yeah. had the same yeah it's But, also uh, called Steve, uh, Lou Gehrig's disease in America apparently exactly Quick Lou Gehrig yeah. i think was a was a professional sports person i forget i think it's baseball or mm-hmm. might be a different sport who also got this disease i believe yeah uh oh sorry i just wanted to bring up als um, as like a quick side effect because uh, side um, side note here because you know stephen hawking and uh, another uh, a musician who I'm a big fan of called uh, Jason Becker both of them had ALS and uh, mm-hmm. yeah i just wanted to bring that up because you you said yeah, like and we also had the disease, ice right? yeah. like like the, the ice, ice bucket challenge, challenge a few yeah. years ago where which was trying to bring more attention to uh, awareness to it yeah yeah yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 so yeah exactly so this professor had that disease and like uh-huh. uh like yeah like his body is slowly like deteriorating and the the student all of a sudden is just like oh damn i haven't seen him since i've left i don't know what i'm doing with my life that kind yeah. of moment like <laughs> everything this professor told me i've just thrown it out the window even though i, I promised him i'll be that kind of human 
as I live. Like that professor's mm-hmm. almost motto in life was uh, love each other or die. Because there's no point in living if you're not able to build loving relationships with the people around you. Yeah. And he's just that super bubbly, energetic person who loves talking, who loves like interacting with people, who loves mm. being around uh, people, like loves having that physical contact and just like uh, anything he has, he's willing to share. He's that kind of uh, man and like, Uh, so yeah so the rest of the book is just this former student coming back uh and like starting to talk to his professor while he still can uh mm. like chapter by chapter or like week by week uh every time this uh, the student visits they start getting into deeper and deeper conversations about the meaning of death and how a person who has been basically sentenced to uh, sentenced to death within the year can look at things like on a daily basis and see how his like body is changing and what impact that's having on his on his psyche mm-hmm. basically because like yeah. the, prof- the professor basically has to come to terms with this uh with this end and but the thing is he is bizarrely optimistic or not not optimistic but like opti- i don't want to use optimistic in the sense that he thinks that he'll get better but he's very positive he has like a very positive outlook on life despite being in that condition where yeah. he he starts to love being surrounded by the people that uh, are with him because like although they're there uh, like like he he's very appreciative of the fact that there's yeah. people who are willing to help him out in this situation the fact that people his students his family keep coming to visit him the fact that he has time <coughs> before he knows he's going to die so that he can talk to everyone sort out yeah. any uh, issues that he might have had uh, like it's not going to be sudden he knows like no one's going to be like shocked uh, yeah. at, at at the fact that he's like like he's died from a heart attack all of a sudden or something like that Because, so he takes uh, it all as like a blessing and that uh i don't know that mental perspective comes very strongly in this book and makes hmm. a, a lot of people who are have this like strong fear of death uh really rethink what it means to be alive yeah uh, i think the way you the, the way you were explaining it when we were so so we usually kind of like just briefly talk about topics we want to bring up in an episode right before we record and the way you described this right before we recorded was its acceptance like he he's he's he accepts his death as like something that's mm-hmm. going to happen mm-hmm. and then he he just like he's like okay it's going to happen how do i how do i just reconcile everyone around me with the fact that this is going to happen you know how mm-hmm. do how, how do people just make how do they make how do they come to terms with something like that how do they make amends with with something like that which i yeah. think is fascinating cuz i mean so tuesdays with mori is obviously a book but yeah. i think there's a lot of music uh, also that specifically deals with coming to terms with you know death coming to terms with the fact that you are going to die and you mm-hmm. know how do you how do you make peace with it right yeah. like like off the top of my head i can think of three songs right now which are like 
so so there's hallowed be thy name by iron maiden fate to black by not fate to black sorry uh, one by metallica and ride the lightning also by metallica all three yeah. about um death in one way or another and i think so hallowed be thy name and ride the lightning are about being sentenced to death like quite literally sentenced to death yeah but it's about how um it's about how differently um people kind of come to terms with the fact that they've done something and they have to make amends for that yeah you know they have to pay for what they've done kind of thing in hallowed be thy name you know the guy entrusts himself to god saying you know okay i have done this i'm waiting in my cold cell when the bell begins to chime you know classic line yeah and he's like okay i entrust myself to god hallowed be hallowed be thy name i trust you will you know you will carry out my true judgment kind of thing whereas ride the lightning is this this cry of like i don't want to die you know like like i know i've done something i know this is my fate i know like this is punishment but i i want to keep living i want to hold on to what i have and um and even one one is not explicitly about you know coming to terms with death it's more about like exploring exploring the condition of someone who should have died and who wants to die because they don't they no longer have any of their senses to rely on other than hearing and like you know smell but like they can't, they don't have any senses they can't touch people because their hands and legs are cut off etc etc and it it yeah. it um goes into this other exploration of death which is you have to accept it because there's nothing else you can do which is very different from what um tuesdays with mori is bringing out which is accepting it because you have more time to spend with people you can like make it make it so it's meaningful you know exactly. it matters and like and that's actually don't... i think exactly like what he says like he wants like life is only meaningful if you have built that kind of mm. like uh, f- uh, f- for this professor like if you've only built that kind of connections with the people around you if yeah. you've impacted them by sharing what you have to offer uh, whether mm-hmm. it's knowledge time physical ability know how anything like like those are the things yeah. that he he finds value in and it's not just about just like working up to make money and then like like leaving that for the next generation or whatever like he thinks that there is a lot more value you can bring by just offering time to the people around you. like listen to the people yeah. around you and what problems they have and like just like be there for them uh, i think i think actually there's a there's a very interesting parallel between uh tuesday with mori and one very specifically uh that we can get into uh for a bit right now um because Okay, like i don't want to make this uh i don't want to you know make this like a reductionist kind of thing but there is a similarity between you know having a degenerative disease like als which slowly strips away all of your motor function you know like from ground up like you you can't walk you you stop being able to do like control a lot of your motor motor skills and you know the plight of the character in one who has no arms no legs no eyes no you know like there's there's no way for them to interact with the world around them they can only like passively hear and you know like like they can only just be passive recipients of the world around them they can't express what they want they can't like talk they can't do anything right mm. um and and obviously like very different circumstances lead to both of these things but in some ways it's similar the fact that through a degenerative disease like als you lose motor control you can't physically interact with the world around you 
even though you are aware of it, you can still think like, like, like we said, Stephen Hawking had um, ALS and, you know, um, Jason Becker had ALS. And even towards the end of their life, their, their mental skills were still intact. Like they were still able to communicate through, you know, the devices they were given in modern computing. But um, until, until that kind of device was discovered, you, you were essentially a prisoner in your own body uh, for a lot of these conditions. And the way these two characters deal with that and deal with, the fa- deal with their imminent death is so different, you know? Like, both of them accept it in some way, but it's, it's a very different form of acceptance in both cases. In, in the case of Mori, it's like, okay, I know this journey's ending, so let me make it, let me make the rest of it as meaningful as possible. Let me share it with the people I love, the, the people I want to give time to, the people I've spent years cultivating this kind of uh, trust and, you know, love and, like, respect with. You know, mm-hmm. that's one way of acceptance, which is like the journey is coming to an end. Let's make it as good as possible. And the other is a guy who's basically trapped in his own body because he stepped on a landmine in war. And he's like, OK, I, I, I'm I, a prisoner in my own body. I can't interact with the world around me. Everything has been taken away from me. I can't wait for this to end. You know, mm. it, it's two very separate um, acceptances of death and I, I just thought you know that's a very interesting parallel to bring up because yeah. because this talk of acceptance of death is a huge theme in a lot of music specifically like uh, I, I think it's all art I, I don't think like it's oh no no because of course it, all art but like I'm just saying no no, no I just I just so mean much. like this is something that as people it's oh absolutely something almost yeah. everyone ha- like has to deal with at some point in their lives so it's just like a very universal topic of trying to understand like what life and death are like what to do with it and stuff and especially as an artist i feel like the mind would tend to question these things a lot more than than a lot of other yeah uh, yeah. directions that people go in with their lives but like which are a lot more applied and practical kind of fields right yeah yeah no 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 the reason i was saying music is because you know like one is there's there's just so much music that deals with acceptance and death and like what it means to be alive and those kinds of things like even in pop music uh there's there's honestly so much uh and you know the other thing is just the power of music itself to elicit just emotion from you like you don't need words to bring about the exact emotion that the that the artist is feeling mm. you know like like again another song about acceptance of death is uh, soothsayer by buckethead mm. because it's dedicated to so like the lord behind that song i don't know if you know it i mean you should because you were like one of the biggest buckethead fans in school <laughs> I do, I do, but yeah. but the the lord behind that that song was basically it's dedicated to his aunt who died and he he was incredibly close to his aunt. Um, and yeah, it's it's a nine-minute instrumental piece. And each time I listen to it, I, I'm on the verge of tears because it's just the way music has this primal emotive... Um, yeah, it has this primal emotive force behind it. And I'm using emotive in the sense of emotion and motive. Like, it moves you into feeling something just so so deep yeah i i I mean that's 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 the end of my tangent (laughs) for now (laughs) 
<laughs> I, I think there's a few things more I wanted to get into from the yeah, book yeah. because there's a lot of really wonderful quotes from the book oh, that I just yeah, wanted yeah. to Let's bring up it. because I think they really, they really make you think. Like there's one uh, that I have ready here. Uh, it's about aging, and the quote says, "Aging is not just decay; it's growth." It's more than the negative that you're going to die. It's the positive that you understand you're going to die and that you live a better life because of it. Like that, like outlook at life as like all aging as growth yeah. is kind of like it really changes the way like a lot of people, at least me, like like we think of life. Like we tend, I think, at least in culture, well, like in uh, ordinarily to think of life as it's like a bell curve where yeah, yeah, yeah. like you, you hit, hit your peak, peak and th- and then you start yeah. going back down you, yeah, yeah. You, like the, there is like a plateau in like your late teens to 20s and 30s that we yeah. sort of accept as like, the peak of life the prime as the of peak life of life of and then like yeah. when, like the thing is like once you start thinking of all aging as growth it's just that the growth happens in different ways you're learning oh absolutely yeah you're change, you're, you're learning different things about your priorities you're coming to like uh, there's uh, another one that ties in well is like once you learn how to die you learn how to live and i feel like those are the sort of things that as you age you sort of you start come to terms with a bit more yeah. yeah and so that's when like maybe your perspectives change maybe you might want to spend more time with family or maybe you want to spend more time giving back to the people around you for all the things that you've learned until that point and not yeah. just trying to build up more information and not spending any time to do anything with it yeah i mean in in line with exactly what you said you know all aging is growth um both my both my grandfathers died i think last year no the year before no no it was last year yeah over last year God damn, the time sense is just absolutely messed up because of the pandemic and everything. Uh, but yeah, so so both of them passed away last year, and uh, you know my uh, on mom's side, he my grandfather was diagnosed with Parkinson's, and you know obviously there's there's a lot of um, there's a lot that that affects him because of that. You know his motor skills were affected, his his mental faculties and memory were affected, but he never stopped smiling and having a good time you know mm-hmm. when when food he enjoyed was put in front of him he'd eat it he'd sit and watch documentaries with us even though he you know you could tell he wasn't really understanding what was going on it was more just you know enjoying the presence of people around him yeah. enjoying the fact that his grandchildren were there his his daughter was there his son-in-law was there and all of us loved him and respected him so much and just wanted to spend time with him right yeah and in i think i think it made the passing a lot easier to accept because you know everyone was there with him mm-hmm. and you know we 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 were so happy that his last few days were just like just him chilling at home having a good time you know we took him out for a drive we we got him food he enjoyed i cooked for him a few times you know we had we had a great time mm-hmm. and it really made the most of the time that we had and and so it, it it helps accept something so deep, so painful yeah. it helps it helps even the people around you to just like come to terms with it a lot better 
yeah. when when you've given them that time to process it to like be with you to make sure that it's all meaningful you know yeah 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 man uh yeah. acceptance of death is a it's a tough topic yeah cuz yeah and yeah it just reminded me an, another thing like th- that you brought that up that in this book they mm. this uh, mori like finds it really sort of like sad in a way that people uh, only really congregate like gather together uh, the loved ones all gather together after a person has passed and yeah. then share their sentiments of the value of that person's life to them mm. uh, like so he organizes this living funeral i believe i think that's mm-hmm. what he called it where he calls all his family calls all his friends just has everyone sit together <laughs> in his house have food and drink and just talk about like basically just celebrate uh mm. mori for what he's been his to them life, yeah. yeah yeah like it's it's a wonderful uh act of yeah understanding where he is with his life and also less like bringing everyone together and just like like i i think i think that's amazing and i think that we don't give each other that appreciation we don't enough give it enough i life. agree yeah i mean i think honestly like for all for all that i believe in free will and you know the fact that you know humanity has infinite choice and in how they want to grow etc etc some days i wake up and i'm like man i just wish i knew my fate i wish i knew the date and time i would die so mm. that i like i know there's an end to this journey i know exactly when it'll end and so every minute until then is going to be important to me then yeah versus now where like i know it's going to happen i don't know when it's going to happen though yeah so it's not as pressing it's not as important for me to reach out to people and all of that cuz i'm still alive you know i know i'll be alive for a bit longer exactly It, like, I- that's the thing right like it's like we don't like we don't know when to prioritize yeah living. yeah <laughs> like yeah, living exactly. as in like li- like truly making the most of every moment and like doing the things that we really love uh doing or like things that bring sort of meaning to our existence yeah, in a way yeah exactly exactly and like, like I, by the when are we supposed to get out of the rat race and into exactly. you know the human element of things you know yeah um it, it it's man huh. <laughs> it's it's just Pretty. a really heavy topic oh, i mean i i need to read this book now because yeah yeah like, i think it's really wonderful and i haven't had this experience where i've read a book and like honestly been moved essentially to tears if i wasn't oh, in the middle oh. of 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 a of a like loud noisy airport i probably would have been but yeah. it's just like it it's very uh it, it's the thing is like it's not it's not sad that's yeah. the crazy part about it it's like it's going through some of the like heaviest hardest topics that a lot of people uh, are grappling grappling with but it it's written incredibly well and also the character of the professor mori is just so optimistic like, and happy optimistic and happy that you have yeah. to just like you, you just sort of like come to love him by the end of it mm. and you're just like what am i like why am i living the yeah. way i am living <laughs> oh this the sorry this um tuesday uh mori reminded me of another book um i don't know if i've spoken about this one before 
um it's called uh, before the coffee gets cold okay and I- i'm not even going to try pronouncing the author's name because i don't remember it that well and also it's it's a japanese name uh and i don't want to yeah i don't want to try <laughs> but basically um it- it's a story about how there's this cafe and you know you go in you order a coffee and you sit at a very specific table and you can travel back in time um you can travel back in time uh in um uh, in that in that ca- coffee shop and yeah you can you can send yourself back a few years in time and like you can meet people at that time and so on but you have to finish your you have to finish whatever you went back in time for and get back to present day like so the way that happens is you go back to the coffee shop and you sit back down in that exact same spot mm. and you have to do that before the coffee gets cold mm. so that's why the title is before the coffee gets cold and so on and it's 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 beautiful because i mean it's an, it's i read the english translation so again i'm sure a lot of subtlety and nuance is lost but man it's 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 all about this exact thing where they go back in time to to relive re-experience and like make amends with things they've done in, like the, they've done in the past the things these characters have done in the past and like they come to terms with you know loss with relationships breaking apart with all of these things and it's it's like there's one there's one chapter that's just absolutely heartbreaking and i'm not going to say anything about it i really don't want to spoil it because i i i had to keep the book aside and i was crying mm. which i don't think i've done for any book i don't think i've done for any media where i've had to just stop it and like i just start crying it it's it was honestly so powerful like even as an english translation even like when i even when you know a lot of the subtleties of the primary language get lost it's it was it was so powerful because it dealt with acceptance with um coming to terms with the death that you know is going to happen mm-hmm. and that you cannot change you cannot stop it there's nothing you can do about it how do you make sure those last few moments you know how do you how do you um, make them important how do you come to terms with it yeah it's like like your um, like the way you were talking about Tuesdays with Mori just reminded me of this book yeah because of that one chapter it's incredibly powerful and i i'd recommend everyone to like quickly read this cuz it's it's again like a really short book i mm-hmm. i think around 200 pages and you can get through it really quickly but yeah incredibly powerful book that deals with pretty much the same questions you know mm-hmm. what does it mean to live how do you make your life meaningful you know like how do you come to terms with the death of someone close to you hmm. how do you how do you make those last few moments mean everything they meant to you hmm. you know i think i think that's the that's the most difficult part people have or or not not i i don't want to speak for people obviously but i think that's one of the most difficult parts with accepting a loved one's death which is like hmm. they've meant so much to you you don't know how like you don't know when the last few moments are and you want to make those last few moments with them as important to them as they were to you 
I, I mean, that's that's a slightly convoluted sentence, but I hope you kind of, yeah. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, and, and you know, when you, ha- when you have a novel or you have music, you can explore those things without the constraint of time, without the constraint of actual responsibility in some way. You know, without like real life for for the um, for an umbrella term, without real life's um, interference in like giving people that time, giving people that like that expression of how much they meant to you. Mm. So like, I think literature and art in general is just this incredible. Um, it's this incredible place where you you can you can bring yourself like you can bring yourself and all your emotions and all your experiences into a world that doesn't have consequence but you can you still learn a lot from it mm. and yeah it's, it's it's so yeah it's so interesting to think about how art looks at these questions in completely different ways but like each book has its own like or each book each song each movie has its own very powerful impact both good and bad, obviously. There are, there are terrible movies as well that deal with this question and they don't do it effectively at all. But yeah. Uh, we, we might need something to, to change the mood up. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, let me just uh, do a, like, a quick U-turn and change things up completely. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, this last last week, I I, I, I visited uh, Calcutta, Kolkata, however mm-hmm. you you wish to to say it. Kolkata. Yeah. Uh, and it, it, like I've been to the city before. It's it had always been like very quick trips in and out. Like I never mm-hmm. really took the chance to really explore the city and the like get a sense of its culture. And I I I've just found it extremely fascinating because. It's super, like, it. there are very few cities that I've seen in the world that have such a strong character to them. Mm. Like, like the city has a personality. And that personality is very clearly stuck in the 1940s. <laughs> like, uh, there's something about uh, about everything in the city where it, it feels exactly as the British left it when they left India. There are so many places that feel like they've been maintained the same way, the practice have been maintained the same way, mm. the sort of like sense of formality and like almost like social levels are sort of like kept the same way. Like you go to some of these like really, really famous uh, restaurants, especially in the city center, in the Park Street area where they have like these mm. like uh, these like guards essentially in like, you know, the, the turban outfit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a very, very stereotypically the way it was built for the british yeah and they yeah. they still continue to keep things the same way and i just found that extremely fascinating because like i come from chennai which mm-hmm. also kind of has a, like it should on paper have a lot of very similar culture but i kind of don't see it there is and like a very, very strong imprint that the British left on our current modern day culture with the way we dress, the way we speak. And I, I specifically mean the British of the 40s because a lot of their cultural imprint has not been updated since. So it's not like we've been... Oh yeah, fair enough, yeah. Uh, other than like from like very recent pop culture, it's our tendencies, especially when it comes to 
things that we consider formal are stuck in the past so the type of uh, mm-hmm. language that we use when we say writing a letter or a formal email yeah are very outdated to people from the rest of the world attached here with are the contents of this document yeah, yeah. like that's not really <laughs> like yeah, phrasing I, yeah formal emails now are literally just pfa you know pfa the yeah. required files yeah like it's not even please find attached it's just the abbreviation pfa yeah you don't need to add anything else it's just hello pfa the attached files regards <laughs> there's no your sincerely with like a sign and everything nothing and like an exact uh, format of like does it go to the left or the right like do you sign it here do you yeah, sign yeah, it above yeah we don't above? need any of that yeah <laughs> and it's just like a lot of those things are like very strictly like imprinted in stone and maintained mm-hmm. as is i just like randomly brought brought that up this uh, words that we use that we don't even realize are kind of uh sort of outdated or like yeah weird. here with further furthermore all of those things you know yeah uh and, no i uh, agree uh, though i think I, i think the cultural identity of um city versus city i think it's like super interesting because mumbai as well right so i've lived most of my life in mumbai um and you know again important port city with a huge amount of colonial history because of the fact that it was an important port city and like a center of trade but the the colonial or like the places in mumbai that have colonial architecture so like kolaba and fort a lot of um, a lot of south mumbai um yeah closer to nariman point and like that kind of area a lot of the buildings you see that are colonial you know they they've been completely assimilated into a modern mumbai culture mm-hmm. whereas uh, I, i i think that's like that's such a cool part about living in these big cities which have this rich history behind them good or bad it's it is a rich history mm-hmm. um where there's this constant reinventing of the cultural identity of the city of like the the i like the social identity as well mm-hmm. where it's no longer just a part of the past it is part of the city for yeah. for whatever it means and so these buildings are renovated to look exactly as they were back in the day um you know like renovations to the victoria station in mumbai like it was built um when the british were around but like it's it's renovated to look exactly like that there's no updates to how the building is look there's no updates to how the building looks there's like updates to the functionality like the toilets obviously <laughs> are modernized like things inside are modernized the amenities are modernized but other than that it still looks and feels very much the same as it did back in the day but mm-hmm. that meshes completely with mumbai's cultural identity of going forward of being this fast moving almost new yorkish city you know like the city of dreams city never sleeps kind of feel yeah it, it's really interesting to think about how you know each each city has a different cultural identity while still sharing a lot of history a lot of the cultural history as well like all these places are port cities with a lot of trade i'm talking kolkata mumbai chennai yeah very specifically um like all three of them are huge port cities which were centers of trade for a long time and they were they all have were like important parts of being colonized by the british you know because when the british took over india they took over a lot of these ports so they could control the trade 
because that's that's essentially what they were in India for. And it's really interesting how each city maintains a different cultural identity while still sharing this cultural past. Yeah, exactly. Like we have like uh, across the three cities, for example, like we have like areas which have like very similar architecture, like the mm-hmm. probably the railway station in all three have like that, you know, the, that classic red building yeah. with like yeah, massive yeah, yeah. clock tower and like yeah. <laughs> very classic, like 19th century, 18th century British oh, uh, architecture. I think but honestly, like, Egmore and Victoria look so similar. They do, <laughs> it's they crazy. do. exactly. I, but, but the thing I found really fascinating in Kolkata particularly is that almost every shop, especially in the older district, mm-hmm. uh, mentions when they, when they were started, like, you know, the since blah, blah, blah year. And like, I, I got so used to, like, at, at least in Chennai, like very rarely coming across a place yeah. that's like over 20, 25 years old. Like that is mm-hmm, kind of mm-hmm. old, uh, where we'd, we'd see like since 1992 or something, and they'd be like, oh, wow, these guys have been around oh. for a while. But yeah. then over there, like I, I, I went to the Calcutta Cricket and Football Club, which was uh, founded in yeah. 1992. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think Mumbai is kind of similar to Calcutta in that sense, where there's like a ton of institutions that have been open since the 1800s. Yeah. Or like late, late, like late 1800s, early 1900s kind of thing. Yeah. I'm not even talking, I'm not even talking like football clubs and cricket clubs. Because, I mean, while it's obviously impressive that something has stayed since 1792, it makes sense for like a sports club to stay like that. You know, there's a hierarchy, there are tournaments and so on. But, but like, there are restaurants like, in Mumbai that have been open exactly, since like... Exactly, like I, I yeah. went to like a kati roll shop, like Nizam's that, yeah. uh, I mean, at least they claimed to have invented the kati roll. That's from like 1930. There's a bunch of other like shops and restaurants that I went there. Yeah. just been around forever. They yeah. and But the thing is like, say in Chennai, uh, we have like the Nilgiri supermarket that has also been around for like over a hundred years. Uh, but the but thing you don't is, feel like, it, right? You don't feel it. Like they've yeah. constantly, like every 10, 15 years, they've completely like revamped their look and identity as a brand to feel modern so that like customers kind of still feel like it's a fresh experience. Yeah. Uh, or like, But the thing well, is, like in Kolkata in particular, like I felt like they have like, like mm. so deeply rooted themselves in that identity that they refuse to change any aspect of it. Like they'll keep things clean. They'll keep things like updated in the terms of like maintenance, but it's mm-hmm. like the, the general energy, the vibe, the appearance and the feel like are, what you said with Mumbai, I tried to be maintained as similar to yeah, it's just, what, what they it's remember. The amenities, of it. yeah. It's the amenities that are updated, not like anything else, you know? Exactly. The structure exactly. and everything remain the same. But I, I also, like, when you brought up Nilgiris, that's been up for a long time, I, I just want to, like, think about, you know, the difference between, like, obviously, I, I mean, obviously there are differences between a supermarket chain and a restaurant or whatever. Mm-hmm. I, I want to think about like why those differences exist. Like why is it that a supermarket chain that's been around since, you know, the 1900s or like the 1800s even, why is it that that has to constantly renovate itself, change the appearance of its place, you know, change how they approach selling versus a restaurant where the fact that they've been around since the 1800s is this huge touch of like, oh, unchanged recipe since the 1800s, you know? we are the original shop that invented this thing and you know you want the best version you come to us kind of thing 
like like, like I'll be completely honest I'm not even sure like I don't think it's like supermarket versus restaurant in this case like I feel like it is Chennai versus like like I feel like perhaps there is a stronger uh cultural sense of not maintaining the british practices that is there like that that's there in chennai like mm. they don't want to have that 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 connection to that anymore i mean i don't that, even want to I, i'm not even talking about like colonial versus decolonial practice and all of that yeah. right like I, i'm talking very specifically okay, yeah. just age just okay. like the so so there are there's this uh, place in mumbai called vithals um which it, it's a it's a bhel puri and chaat shop Mm-hmm. that's been open since i think the early 1900s like 1920 or something mm-hmm. they they're a generational shop they've been open for ages and like absolutely amazing food but you know the practice is like they they plaster that we've been around since 1920 and like they make it very clear it's it's literally why people go there mm-hmm. it's because they've been around for so long they've never changed how they do their thing um you know that's like a huge part of their cultural identity as part of the city uh similarly there's like a bunch of these kind of small shops that have been around for generations and the selling point is that they've been around as the city changes as the city grows and they've not needed to change and grow because that is part of their identity with the city yeah. um whereas a supermarket i feel doesn't have that cultural identity like i want to talk very specifically about the fact that right. i'm yeah, using I... supermarket as like an indicative term yeah of, yeah, yeah, no. of a modern I... concept you know yeah like, and i think like i think it also comes from the fact that a supermarket is like primarily stocking products that yeah. are not theirs yeah uh, because a restaurant can have like a very strong pride in their recipes and their mm-hmm. customer service in in like the experience the visual experience of like where the restaurant is like the yeah. type of uh plating and so, whatever you know right like a lot of restaurants <laughs> have pride in a lot of different things but in a supermarket i feel like uh the pride is in having a good set of you know product lineup and like yeah, making like, sure it's all clean be, efficient exactly exactly there might Very be some modern. that have like maybe uh i've heard this especially in european supermarkets where there are mm. chains that are really focus on very quick uh billing and like you know like yeah. that 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 experience is like super fast and there's ones that are like meant to be super calming like you take your time to shop yeah. nothing is rushed so people feel more at ease like who kind of don't like the super high pace uh speed so it's just like like those are so much more minor in sort of like idea uh mm-hmm. that it's hard you can keep that across generation but it's not like it's not a visual experience it's more of just an ideal that can be maintained no matter how yeah uh, the the brand looks and feels i think honestly the only supermarket chain i've come across that genuinely has its own cultural identity is tesco <laughs> the savior of drunk college students everywhere <laughs> in the uk <laughs> I mean I I I, I, I feel like okay some... maybe not a supermarket but something like IKEA as no, no, well no, could I be agree. put I, I agree with you like, I was just kind of yeah, yeah, I know, joke I, about I, it I know but I'm just like uh, bring it back to like a serious point like I feel like something <laughs> yeah. like IKEA is a good example of like okay not a supermarket obviously but like a shop that a shop tries tries to bring this idea of like DIY furniture at a low cost that they've tried mm-hmm. to maintain year after year after year uh Right 
Yeah, that becomes their cultural identity then, doesn't yeah. it? Like, it's the same... I mean, while I brought up Tesco as a joke, I think that is part of the cultural identity, that they give affordable, good food. Like, affordable food that tastes fine and is nutritionally, like, not <laughs> completely it's like decent. Useless. Yeah. yeah. It's like actual food for, like, fairly cheap. It's like three pounds for a meal deal, right? You get a coffee, a sandwich, and a bag of crisps or uh, fruits, for like three pounds, 300 rupees. And, um, you know, something like that, it, it, it becomes part of the cultural identity because a lot of, a lot of, um, a lot of uh, towns and cities in the UK have their own universities. So there's like tons of students, you know, and with students comes both parties and all night study sessions. And Tesco just has these meal deals that are so convenient for both for both occasions, it's become like this, this cultural cornerstone of like, oh, if you're a student, Tesco meal deals are going to save your life. <laughs> you know, they're just going to make it so much easier for you to live here. And it's true. It's, it's, it's helped. I think I've brought this up before in the podcast that Tesco meal deals have saved my life <laughs> on occasion. Uh, we really need to get sponsored after this. Hey, man, I already have a Tesco club card. They better fucking sponsor us soon. <laughs> I think most brands don't care about expletives anymore. Uh, anyway, I think um, on that note, on uh, on trying to bring uh, on trying to get sponsored by Tesco, I think that's a great way to end this uh, this episode of Dumb Dive. Yeah. So if you're Tesco and looking out for uh, podcasts and other shows to uh, to sponsor and support, if you're looking out please... for cool hip new content creators. <laughs> Reach us out. <laughs> I mean, reach out to us, yeah. my God. Uh, reach out to us at uh, dumbdive at gmail.com or on Instagram at dumbdive uh, podcast, on Twitter at dumbdive. We are most active on Instagram. Of course, we check our mail. Uh, please send us any feedback, any, yeah. any, any thoughts or questions that you had like while listening to this episode. Any ideas that you have on how we could make it better is... Are the episodes getting too long? Are they not long enough? Uh, would you yeah. prefer to have like a more interactive segment of of some kind? Uh, oh yeah, let any, us know it, if you want us to do like Twitter spaces, polls on Instagram, like ways to give us event. feedback. Yeah. A little, a little less, like less formal, less directed feedback than tweets, emails, and like DMs to us. Like if you want spaces where you can like directly talk to us. Um, or like polls on Instagram where you can directly interact with our stories and have us like immediately like, um, you know, post another thing in response. Like things like that, which, you know, while social media and the internet can be a bit limiting in terms of interactivity, there's there's still a lot we can do. So, I mean, let us know. We're always down to try and experiment a bit more, try and make the podcast a bit, a bit more accessible, a bit more open to everyone. Like we want to build that kind of thing. So... Yeah, let us know. And uh, something else that would be of massive help to us uh, as a show, like to get more people to discover Dump Dive, would be to leave a review uh, on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Uh, Spotify has started a system which has uh, like a ratings feature. It's not really a review, but like that would be really useful. And Apple Podcasts, yeah. of course, since Time Memorial has had uh, podcast reviews. So please. Uh, I mean, wherever you're listening to this, I think it's on like a bunch of platforms. So if they have ratings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but like not everything has those. So yeah. Yeah. 
No, no, no. So if, if the platform okay. has ratings, leave us a rating. If the platform has a review system, please do leave us a review. Like, I'm sure a ton of your YouTube, a ton of your favorite YouTubers would have said, but like, this stuff really does help us get recommended in the algorithm a bit more. It helps engagement, you know, it drives all those things up. It's 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 just the, the perks of working in social media. So, you know, but... Anyway, on all of that, and after shilling us, uh, shilling ourselves, the, that's the end of this episode. I'm Pranav. I'm Arvind. Thanks for listening. But yeah, um, we spoke about, I don't know, man. Today was heavier than I anticipated, but that's good. Yeah, it's as heavy as the shopping bag after you're leaving Tesco's. Oh boy, don't even bring that up. I I remember I walked out of Tesco once. I, I literally went there to get a meal deal and I walked out with like, <laughs> I walked out having spent 20 pounds. <laughs> I was like, I just went for a meal deal. Why did I buy everything I needed? <laughs> <laughs>